When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. If you need a new window or need a new door, Pella is the answer. Take it from me, someone who just had the Pella team, the Pella experts, install a new bay window, a couple of the windows on, the, on my house, a new front door, and the experience working with Pella was great. The job they did was excellent. I can't stop staring at at the door and the windows. Just amazing. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And this podcast is brought to you by Shoot360 Lincoln, the world's most advanced basketball training facility. My brother and I are the owners, and uh, we, we are uh, like a little over 10 days old, man. We are in our maiden voyage, and what we are building there is truly special. Our team of coaches combined with the incredible Shoot360 product is an amazing combination. If you have a kid of really any age or skill level, fourth grade beginner or big time college player and beyond, we can help you get better faster we can help you fall in love with the game of basketball. We can encourage you. We can challenge you. But most of all, you are going to have fun when you are inside our walls. We specialize in the essential skills of shooting, ball handling, and passing. Our patented and proprietary technology is the same tech that 26 NBA teams use and is truly spectacular. Go to shoot360.com backslash Lincoln to schedule your ORV, your official recruiting visit today. That's a free one-hour workout. Again, that's shoot360.com backslash Lincoln. Become a member today. All right. On deck today, we're talking some Creighton basketball, man. Creighton basketball season preview pod is is right here for the 2023-2024 Blue Jays. There's always so much to tackle with these season and team previews that it's hard to even know how to like begin unwrapping it. Right. So what I decided to do, I did something similar to this last year. I decided to write down 10 things and uh, 10 storylines, 10 factors, 10 keys, 10 questions, however you want to label it. It's 10 of them. (laughs) I wrote down 10 things that are really top of mind for me with this Creighton team as they're about to start this season uh, just in a, in a few weeks. And, man, this team has high hopes, high goals again. Preseason AP poll came out. Creighton, highest preseason ranking ever, number eight in the country. Uh, The Big East Media Days just happened about 24 hours ago. And Creighton is picked to finish second in the Big East Conference. Uh, And all that is warranted. Creighton went to the Elite Eight last year. They were basically a second and a half, two seconds away from going to the Final Four. Uh, it's a pretty shaky call on Ryan Nemhard to put uh, San Diego State at the free throw line to win it with about two seconds left. But I tell you what, man, Creighton finished the regular season strong last year, and Creighton returns a ton from last year a- as well. Uh, and in fact, among power conference teams, Creighton ranks ninth in highest percentage of returning scoring 
entering the season. Creighton returned 74.9% of its scoring from last year. So the hype and the expectations is warranted. And Greg McDermott, man, he, he has this program rolling. He has done such a great job, and he's such a great coach. I just, I don't know, man. Omaha and, and Creighton, it's, they're just so lucky and fortunate to have a guy like Greg McDermott. And it is interesting. Sometimes I, I, I do like to step back and, and say out loud and think to myself, since 1994, Creighton has had two head coaches, Dana Altman and Greg McDermott. It was pretty damn good, man. Two coaches since 1994. Altman, McDermott. That's incredible. So you know, what Greg McDermott has, has done in terms of building with this program after Coach Altman got it got it up and, and humming is just it's, – it's really a sight to behold. Greg McDermott has coached 13 seasons at Creighton. This is his 14th year in Omaha. In the 13 seasons he's coached at Creighton, Creighton has – 12 seasons with 20 or more wins, eight trips to the NCAA tournament, would have been nine, but COVID canceled the NCAA tournament. They have one Big East regular season title, one Sweet 16, one Elite Eight. Like, I could go on and on, but damn. Damn. All that winning, and he runs a style that's very fun to watch. He's finished with a Ken Palm top 25 offensive ranking seven times. I mean, it's just like, say it out loud, his down years, like he's like, oh, Creighton had a, didn't have a great year this year, or like getting to the NIT quarterfinals. Like, I, I guess I just want to say all that to make sure people understand how good of a coach this guy is. He's got this program in such a great spot, back-to-back years, where now they are like, they're legit, legit Elite Eight, Final Four caliber teams, man. And with that kind of expectations... I do think this team will be able to navigate that that target and hype a little bit better, right? Like, that's not to say they didn't handle it well last year. I mean, I thought a lot – the lion's share of Creighton's issues last year were because of, of Ryan Kalkbrenner getting mono. But still, handling the target, navigating these kinds of expectations, it's different. I mean, sometimes the hardest thing to do in sports is do is doing what you're supposed to do and doing what everybody expects you to do. It's one thing to do something when no one expects you to. It's another thing to do it when everybody expects you to. So I think mainly guys like Baylor Shireman, Trey Alexander, Ryan Kalkbrenner, even guys like Francisco Farabello, those guys dealt with it last year. And I think that'll having gone through that will equip them to, to handle it even better this season. So, okay, I just kind of want to set the table with McDermott and everything before we get started. So, all right, here we go. Just 10, 10 things that are on my mind about Creighton as, as they get ready to start this season. Thought number one, any conversation with this season and this team and previewing Creighton, predicting the season or whatever, it has to start with this. Creighton's big three, Ryan Kalkbrenner, Trey Alexander, Baylor Shireman, they are arguably the best big three in the country. Period. Creighton, almost every time they take the floor, if you stack up the other team's three best players and pit them against Kalkbrenner, Trey Alexander, and Baylor Shireman, 
with very few exceptions, I'll take Creighton's big three. Talent matters. But you know what really matters? Your top-end talent. And man, Kalkbrenner, Trey Alexander, Baylor Shiman, that's three big-time players right there. And it's also not just that they're talented, but they all fit and complement each other incredibly well. They're, they're all very different players, and they all provide a different skill set. Kalkbrenner, elite rim protector and defender, arguably the best rim protector in the country. And he's one of the most efficient scorers in the country as, there, as well. Pick and roll lob threat, unbelievable. Trey Alexander, excellent combo guard. Can handle it, can get his own shot, really good in the mid-range, and he's made himself into a very good knockdown three-point shooter. Baylor Shireman, great passer, really good shooter, great defensive rebounder. Kind of got that like it thing to him. They all do different things, and together, the three of them, pretty damn good. So I think before you want to even gauge the roster or poke holes in, in the, this team and find questions and, or whatever, always remember this. Creighton's big three is one of the best big threes in the nation. That's a pretty dang good place to start. Thought number two. So, obviously, besides, you know, getting the the big three that we just talked about to all return to Creighton for another year, the biggest news for Creighton's offseason was the departure of Ryan Nemhart. Certainly shocked me, and I think it shocked the coaching staff. And listen, it's a blow. It is. Nemhart led the team in minutes for two straight years. He was the Big East freshman of the year. He was really, really good in the pick-and-roll game. He was a good player. So losing him is a big deal. We tend to do this thing like when they're on your team, like they're awesome. And if they leave, they're like, well, you know, he was, you know, he couldn't really shoot it that good. And, you know, he did. Nah, Ryan Emhart, good player. So losing him is a big deal. So Creighton had to hit the transfer portal to find a replacement. And in my opinion, when you combine fit with talent, Stephen Ashworth of Utah State was just about the best Creighton could have done. He is a great find for Creighton. For people that don't know much about him, Stephen Ashworth of Utah State is going to be the starting point guard. Let me give you a little rundown on on Ashworth. Again, he was at Utah State. He was the guy for Utah State last year. Best player, leading scorer. 16 points per game on a team that went 26-9. and They were a 10 seed in the NCAA tournament and almost beat a pretty talented, good Missouri team in the first round. But the biggest thing with Ashworth, he can really shoot it. Arguably one of the five to ten best shooters in the country last year. So naturally, you're looking at one of the five to ten best shooters in the country heading into this season running the point guard spot for you, which is really exciting. Last year, Ashworth shot 43% from three, and he made 111 threes. To put that into perspective, 111 made threes would rank second all-time for Creighton in a single season. Kyle Korver has the record with 129 made threes in a season. But 111 would be number two. Roggy right now is at 
number two with 110, followed by Corver again at 100, Tyson Alexander at 97, Doug McDermott at 96, and then Marcus Foster and Mitch Ballock are tied with 95. But I hope that kind of puts Creighton fans, you know, it gives them perspective on just how big time 111 made threes is. And he did it, Ashworth did it, shooting at 43%. He's a good shooter. He's also a good passer. Four and a half assists, four and a half assists per game, 158 assists and only 59 turnovers. He was consistent as well. Double figures in 31 of 35 games last year for Utah State, and he scored 20 points or more seven different times. Plus, Ashworth is like 24 years old. He went on a, his two-year mission and played three years at Utah State, so he's an older, mature guy. He's married. He's a grown-up, which I value. So, listen, Stephen Ashworth was a good find. And when you plug him into that point guard spot, there are some, some good things about it, and there are some questions as well. Right? Like, Ashworth is not near the athlete that Ryan Nemhard was. But Ryan Nemhard is not near the shooter that Stephen Ashworth is. Ryan Nemhard was, was excellent in pick-and-roll situations, finding Kalkbrenner for lobs, and we'll see how Ashworth is in that area. Like, how good is he coming off a pick-and-roll pick roll and, and throwing it up to the rim to Kalkbrenner or finding that little pocket pass on a pick-and-roll or seeing that, that Phil guy on the backside for a throwback three? Like, all those things Nemhard was very good at. The other thing that Nemhard was good at was getting all the way to the basket and finishing. That's not really Ashworth's game. So, again... You know, you can kind of go like tit for tat, like Ashworth does this well, but Nemhard does this better, right? Like Nemhard did this well, but Ashworth does this better. The one thing I really do like about the Stephen Ashworth fit is because of his three-point shooting, he can play off the ball, allowing Trey Alexander to move onto the ball more, which I think is great for him, him being Trey Alexander, and the team. Trey Alexander needs the ball a lot, period. So does Baylor Shireman. Those guys are really good playmakers and creators. Trey Alexander is your best perimeter player. Get him the rock. Sometimes it's as simple as like, just get your your stud the ball. Just get him the ball. And I think Ashworth's skill set is going to naturally get the ball in Trey Alexander's hands more. Because with, with Ashworth's shooting ability, it allows him for him to kind of naturally move off the ball at times, and I really, really like that. And, and just from a broad perspective, Ashworth's three-point shooting will create a ton of space on the floor. He'll stretch the defense, creating space for Kalkbrenner inside, driving lanes for Trey Alexander, easy reads for Baylor Shireman to, to distribute the ball. So that is all great stuff. But there are some things that Ashworth is going to have to prove as well. The Mountain West is a good league, but it ain't the Big East. So, you know, how will Ashworth handle the jump up in conferences night in and night out? I will say this. He isn't very big. He's listed at 6'1", 170. My first impressions 
my first impression of seeing him in person live at practice was he didn't look that big. He's not a great athlete either. He's he's a guy, he's tough. He's smart. And so he's got to use those attributes to make up for his lack of, of athletic burst and size. He'll get hunted on defense. And he's got to be up for the fight. Greg McDermott has told me that he's really smart and good off the ball on defense, which will help a ton. Talking, communicating, anticipating, reading, reacting. But nevertheless, he's got to answer the size and athleticism questions on offense and defense at that point guard spot in the Big East. If he can hang in there in those areas, boy, he's going to be a big, big, big piece and a big help. You know, just find me a tournament team, a Sweet 16 team, an Elite 8 team and beyond that just has average point guard play. Typically doesn't happen, right? And while I don't think Ashworth needs to become, you know, he needs to be like the second coming of Jalen Brunson or anything like that, Creighton does need him to have a good year. He needs to be a dead-eye shooter. He needs to take care of the ball. He needs to fight his ass off and not be a liability on defense. He needs to be good in pick and rolls with Kalkbrenner. Because keep in mind, that's how Kalkbrenner gets a lot of his points. Now, Creighton got to where they would throw it into him more, but Kalkbrenner's not necessarily a guy you just you throw it to him with his back to the basket and he, you know, he backs you down. Like, Kalk's better on the move. Pick, roll, pocket pass, lob to the rim, run the floor. Like, that's how he gets a lot of his points. It's where Nemhard was good at finding him. I, was talk- I talked to one opposing coach a couple weeks ago, and they voiced that. They're like, ah, I wonder if Nemhard's absence is really going to impact Kalkbrenner. And I was like, that's an interesting thought. So Ashworth, like, he's got he's to be good in the pick and rolls finding Kalkbrenner. But if he can do all those things, dead-eye shooter, take care of the ball, fight on defense, good in pick and rolls finding, finding Kalk, if he can do all those things and be a steady, veteran, mature voice and leader, he's going to be a big-time addition. But nevertheless, he's got to go do it. He's got to go do it. Huge storyline and player to watch, Stephen Ashworth. That's thought number two. Thought number three is the four, the four spot. What happens there? Speaking of departures and holes to fill, Arthur Kaluma transferred after the season as well. I thought I wasn't all that surprised that Kaluma transferred or, or left was was done at Creighton, but I thought he'd just go start his pro career. So while I'm not surprised that he left, I am a little surprised that he he went to Kansas State. And I'll say this: Kaluma is super talented, and I don't want to minimize him leaving. He was Creighton's most athletic player. He made some big plays in the NCAA tournament that only he could make. But at the same time, there always was this feeling with Kaluma that he didn't fully fit Creighton's style of play. Arthur Kaluma is more of a one-on-one ISO player, not a great shooter. And Creighton is a ball movement team that really values shooting. So it, it... at times felt like there was a little bit of a square peg round hole thing going on with Kaluma and Creighton. 
So in some ways, him leaving makes sense. Like Nemhard's thing, I still to this day, it's now late October. It happened in like early April or late March, whatever the news broke. I didn't get it then. I still don't get it now. Kaluma's, I'm like, I can understand. I can wrap my head around it. But it's still a blow. Again, I don't want to do that thing where it's like, ah, oh, no, he's leaving. He stinks. Ah, no, stop it. So with Kaluma leaving, there is a big hole at that four spot now. And Creighton does, they, they, they have a few options there. The first option is Mason Miller. Third year in the program. He can really shoot it. He's a good vertical athlete, vertical jumper. He's not a great lateral athlete. He's, he's continuing to try to get in the weight room and get stronger. He's still not super strong. And he's not, he's not a guy that's a, you know, he's like one of those guys that's like a two or three dribble max guy. After about three dribbles, you're like, ooh, you better move it, get rid of it. You have Isaac Trout, Virginia transfer, Grand Island native. 6'10", he can really shoot it. Redshirted last year at Virginia, hits the portal, heading to Creighton. And when you look at Trout, I mean, he hasn't played big-time college basketball yet. Creighton recruited him out of high school, so there's familiarity and, and a relationship there, which is good. But Trout also, he's not a great athlete, but again, he's got really good size at 6'10", and he can shoot it. He's got a beautiful jumper. And then you also have Jason Green, who's gotten, gotten nicked up here in the preseason, but you have, you have Jason Green, redshirt freshman from Millard North. When I saw him in person, it looked like he has definitely gotten bigger to me. He's put on some muscle. It's what you like to see in a redshirt year. He's a versatile forward. He might He's the best athlete of the three in terms of lateral, vertical, all that stuff. Mason Miller is the best just standing vert, but I think when you, when you have to get it to moving and all that stuff, I'd say Jason Green's the best athlete. I think he's got a chance to maybe play the three, but he's not near the shooter that the other two guys are. So when you, when you look at all that, so while you're, you may be sacrificing some talent and athleticism, in terms of Kaluma out and looking at those other options, you are gaining a potentially better fit in some of these replacements, in particular Mason Miller and Isaac Trout. Guys that move it, guys that shoot it. But someone's got to step up and be a player in that at that spot. Kaluma's a good player. Let's not undersell how now that he's gone, like, let's not undersell him. In, in a way, a lot like the, the Nemhard-Ashworth thing, it's similar here with at that four spot with Kaluma and then Miller and Trout. You're losing athleticism but gaining shooting. So on some hand, on, on, on one hand, it's like concerning, right? Like you're losing, you're losing a really good athlete, your best athlete on the team, but you're gaining a good shoot. You're, you're potentially plugging that spot with like 40% knockdown three-point shooters. But Miller and Trout, they got to elevate their games and be up to the challenge. Can they, can they fight on the glass? How good of rebounders are they? Can they handle Big East power forwards? Like, is Mason Miller ready to go to war against Bryce Hopkins? Is Mason Miller, is Isaac Trout ready to go, go battle Bryce Hopkins at that power forward spot? It's a tall task, right? Like, can can both those guys, Miller and Trout, can they show some versatility and handle it just a little bit? Not a ton, but a little bit. 
Can they guard one-on-one in the perimeter if they, if, if they get switched out onto a guard? Can they get in a stance and fight the dribble? All big questions. But what can help solve a lot of that? Fight your ass off and make your open threes. And while this isn't a total apples-to-apples comparison, you know who was not a great athlete, uh, was probably outmatched physically and athletically when he was on the floor at, at his position every time he took the floor for most of his career, in particular his last season? Ethan Rogge. But you know what Rogge did? Fought his ass off. Tough. Fought hard. Wrestled with these big dudes. And then you know what else he did? If he was open, swish. So Rogge, Rogge hung in there, right? Same school of thought with, with these guys. Mason Miller, Isaac Trout, fight your ass off, knock down your threes. Kaluma didn't shoot it great from three, but he was still athletic as hell in other spots to make up for it. And if if I'll say if Trout and Miller aren't making threes, you got a problem. Now, I think they will, but it's worth saying out loud, right? I would say right now Mason Miller's got the he, – he's the guy right now. If they had to go play Marquette at Marquette, it's Mason Miller out there at that four spot. But we'll see what happens with Trout. It takes time, guys. Like, from someone that redshirted and you go a year without playing – like, it takes time to get your, your, game, your game flow, your game legs, your game confidence, get all that back. He needs to get comfortable in Creighton's system and comfortable playing Division I basketball. I will say with Trout, he's one of those guys that sometimes strikes me as more of a stretch five than a four man, but we'll see. And I am really curious to see how Trout is on the perimeter doing perimeter type things at this level. Ball handling, moving off screens, away from the hoop, how he flows without the rock, those kinds of things. Creighton needs production there. And between Miller, Trout, and Green... For sure, one and maybe two of those guys need to answer the bell. Big storyline to watch. Thought number four. Baylor Shireman is someone that that caught my eye. And it's it's always good when your eyes match what the coach says. So the other day, I, I'm I'm at the practice facility watching practice. And I'm sitting there, and, and I'm just like, damn, Baylor Shireman looks freaking fantastic. And after practice, I asked Coach Mack, I go, okay, so who would you say is the most improved player? And he said, ah, you know, probably Baylor. And that confirmed kind of what my eyes told me. When I watched Shireman, I'm like, man, he just he looked a little different to me. He looked really, really comfortable. I think Baylor Shireman knows exactly who he is. He knows exactly where he's at in his career, what he can do. He knows this Creighton system now. He knows Coach McDermott. He just is a guy that looks like he's in a good place mentally to me. And that's not to say he wasn't last year. But last year was challenging. Like, Shireman, he had to fit into a group that had already forged roles and chemistry. 
He had to learn a brand new system. Shireman had to get used to the jump from the Summit League to the Big East. He had to get used to a different role. At South Dakota State, he had the ball in his hands the whole game. At Creighton, he didn't necessarily have the ball in his hands the whole game. And he had to do all of that under the intense pressure that came with being a preseason top 10 team that had final four aspirations. That's not easy to do. This year, this situation, Shireman doesn't have to deal with a lot of that. I just thought, I thought the fact that Shireman didn't go through the NBA draft process again and just said, nope, I'm coming back to Creighton, and he just announced that early on, I liked that from him. To me, that is kind of a little bit of a window into his mental state. Like, he, he, he'd gone through that process. He went through it a year ago. It's like he, he feels like he's still got work to do at Creighton. He wants to be a, a Blue Jay for another year. He's staying. And what's interesting is when, when, I, when I watched him play last year, and he had a good year. When I watched him play, I still felt like there was more there. I felt like he had another gear he could get to, another level he could get to. I think he's a much better shooter than he showed last year. He shot 36% from three last season. Keep in mind, he shot 47% from three the year before at, at, at South Dakota State. And he shot 44% from three two years ago. So I think he's a 40% guy. I really do. And I think he shows that this year. And I said this all last year. Baylor Shireman has the kind of game that elevates his teammates. Like when he plays well, the team plays well. Some players aren't like that. They're kind of operating in a silo. And their success doesn't necessarily elevate others. But Baylor Baylor Shireman is a guy that, like, when he plays well, it usually means he's passing the ball great. It usually means he's igniting the crowd. The crowd really reacts to Shireman, and he reacts to the crowd. And all that fuels his teammates. He's kind of just got this, like, magnetic pull to him that, like, when he's up, usually his team is too. So I'm a fan of, of Baylor Shireman. I'm a big fan. And I think he's poised for a big year. His defensive rebounding was not good. It was great last year. Man, he was a tough SOB on the defensive glass. He averaged eight rebounds a game. A lot of those were defensive, and a lot of those were just him sticking his nose in there and wanting it more. I think, I think he elevates his offensive efficiency. I think he elevates his shooting, and with more shooting on the floor around him, I think that's going to unlock his game even more. So Baylor Shireman is someone I am very excited to watch this year. Very excited. Thought number five, speaking of big-time returners, I want to talk about Trey Alexander because the ascension of his improvement from, you know, from, with Trey Alexander continues to be something to just, just marvel at. I, I talked about this during the offseason, but in my nearly 20 years of being intimately around Creighton basketball as either a player a graduate assistant coach, and then now a broadcaster, I don't think I've seen anyone improve more than Trey Alexander has from February of his freshman year to the end of his sophomore year. 
he was a spot backup who was like just just kind of a guy the first three months ish of his freshman year he he went from that into being a stud seemingly overnight he went from spot minutes off the bench to closing out NCAA tournament games he went from a below average three-point shooter to a 40 percent three-point shooter in basically one offseason amazing improvement and to get Trey Alexander to come back to Creighton for one more year was impressive and massive and I think this situation this version of the roster and team actually sets up for him to really explode this year. I, you're hearing it from, I think Trey Alexander is a major dark horse Big East Player of the Year candidate. People are going to point to to Kolick and Donovan Klingin and, and even Kalkbrenner, and I think all those guys are studs. But I could see a scenario where it's like it's it's February 8th, and we're talking about Trey Alexander in the thick of the Big East Player of the Year conversation. So I'm telling you, with Nemhard's departure and Ashworth's skill set, that combination potentially unlocks Trey Alexander to really spread his wings this year. Nemhard led the team in minutes. He had the ball in his hands like the whole game. Nemhard couldn't play off the ball. So Trey Alexander had to sacrifice having the ball in his hands and entering offense and handling it as a point guard. But with but with Nemhard gone and having a point guard in Ashworth who can easily slide and play the two because of his three-point shooting, I think you're going to see Trey Alexander playing on the ball way more, which I think is going to make Trey Alexander even more dangerous. Looking at a scenario with Trey Alexander with the ball, maybe getting a ball screen from Kalkbrenner, and then on the floor with him is Ashworth, Shireman, and Miller or Trout. Man, that floor is so spread out. You got shooters everywhere, and you got a great lob threat player in Kalkbrenner. I like that picture a lot. And I think Trey becomes lethal in that scenario because of that space that I'm talking about getting to the paint, getting to his spots, and hitting that little 12 to 15-foot jumper. He's awesome in the mid-range. He's got a great, great mid-range game. So I just think this team's personnel, combined with his skill set and where he's at in his improvement trajectory, all add up to being something really, really exciting this year. So... Very, very excited to see what all that picture looks like for Trey Alexander. That's thought number five. Thought number six. Can this team recapture and keep that defensive level of play up? Creighton has been a top 20 Ken Palm defense the last two years. 14th. Ken Palm defense last year, 19th, two years ago. Kalkbrenner is still on the roster. So Creighton still has what I believe is the best rim protector in the country. But Creighton lost their two most athletic players in Kaluma and Nemhart. And you plug in those spots with Ashworth and Miller, 
And I will say that I'm a little concerned about those guys getting hunted on defense and just containing the ball. This team needs Trey Alexander to take another leap defensively. He had to guard the other team's best player last year, but he needs to take another step up. But I just look at this whole roster, and I'm like, overall, guarding the ball, containing the dribble is a big question for me. I have no doubt, no doubt, that the defensive game plans will be good and that these guys are smart enough to know their assignments and go out there and execute. But the question is, athletically, can they do it at the level it's been done the last two years? In all reality, Creighton has been a defensive-led team the last two years. Their Ken Palm defensive rankings, they've been higher than their their offensive rankings for two straight seasons. This has been their identity the last two years. So it's going to be interesting to see how this group does in that regard. You still have Ryan Kalkbrenner, and he's a legit national defensive player of the year candidate. So when you got him, that's a great place to start. But nevertheless, you do got to build it again. You don't get to being a top 20 defense in the country by just rolling the ball out and saying, all right, let's go get some stops. No. It takes intense focus, extreme detail, and a level of pride and emphasis on it that is through the roof. Creighton's got to try to recapture that defensive mojo that they've had. Big thing to watch. Thought number seven, bench production. So listen, it was no secret that Creighton's bench last year was abysmal. Creighton was basically almost dead last in the country in bench points and bench minutes. And while it isn't a huge deal because of how Creighton plays and the fact that Creighton doesn't foul, Creighton was second nationally last season in fewest fouls per game. That's an emphasis, and they do do a really good job of it. So it wasn't like they got caught in foul trouble a lot and needed bench guys to go fill in and play big minutes. It It wasn't like that. And I think that will continue to a certain degree. But the reality is Creighton needs more from its bench. They can't have such a drop-off in play when they go to their bench like they did last year. Basically, it got to the point where they had a hard time surviving stretches without their starters on the floor. That's got to change. So, Assuming Creighton starts, Ashworth, Trey Alexander, Baylor Shireman, Mason Miller, and Ryan Kalkbrenner. Let's say that's their starting five right now. Creighton then needs to get something out of Francisco Farabello, Isaac Trout, Frederick King, maybe Jason Green, and Jonathan Lawson. Then if you want to throw Josiah Dotzler out there, depending on what happens with his red shirt and that point guard spot. But the big, the big ones for me are Farabello and Trout. Those two really need to hit. Francisco Farabello played really, really well in the practice I was at. That was like the best I've seen him play. And Greg McDermott said that when I said, man, I go, I go, man, Bello played good today. He goes, he's been like that all fall. I was like, that's good to hear. Trout needs to be a player. Frederick King, he's gonna like he's likely gonna be in the same sort of role and situation he was last year. I mean, he's got an all-American candidate in front of him who just he doesn't foul. So it's just tough to find him a bunch of minutes. I mean, you tell me. You're sitting on the bench right now, you're standing next to Greg McDermott. 
Ryan Kalkbrenner's got zero fouls, you you going, ah, let's let's get let's get Kalkbrenner out. Probably not, right? So I'm not saying Frederick King's not important, but I see his situation being very similar. Jonathan Lawson, the Memphis transfer, is intriguing to me. He's a good-looking player in person. Does sound like he's got a ways to go in terms of kind of learning the system, building the right sort of habits. I mean, Memphis's style of play is way different than Creighton's style, so it could take some time. But Lawson's got really good size for a wing. He's got a 7-1 wingspan. Uh, and he's a really good he's, – he's a good shooter. He's got a pretty-looking jump shot. So he is an option as well off the bench if you're looking for another guard to come in there. We talked about Jason Green and what he can be. But in my opinion, as I see it, the rotation right now is this. Your starters, Ashworth, Alexander, Shireman, Miller, Kalkbrenner. Your bench, Francisco Farabello is your first guy off the bench, then Trout, then, then Frederick King at times. And then I think spot minutes or guys who could play a little bit more depending on certain games or, or maybe play their way into a bigger role or, or Jason Green, Jonathan Lawson, and maybe Josiah Dotzler. That's how I see it at the moment. I could see a world also, just a thought, I'd mention this, where Trout finds minutes as a backup stretch five too. But we'll see. We'll see. But back to the main point. The point is Creighton needs to get some production from its bench. The main dudes for that, in my opinion, are are Farabello, Trout, Frederick King. We'll see all that how all that plays out. Thought number eight. Three point shooting. I think if you look at it, you know. You think over the last 10 years, Greg McDermott has had some great three-point shooting teams, right? The Doug and Rogge team, the the Marcus Zagorowski, Tyson Alexander, Mitch Ballock team. He's had some really good shooting teams. And I think this team on paper has a chance to be potentially in that same sort of conversation. Steven Ashworth, top 10 shooter in the country last year. Trey Alexander is now a legit sniper, 40% three-point shooter, hit seven threes in a game twice last year. Shireman was a mid-30s guy last year. I, he was 47% at, at South Dakota State. I think he's more of that kind of a shooter, so I think he's going to be in the 40% range. Mason Miller can stroke it. Isaac Trout is arguably, he's had moments where he's the best shooter in practice. Farabello is capable. Didn't shoot a great last year, but I, I know it's in him. I think he could be a 40% guy similar to where he was at TCU. Jonathan Lawson has a gorgeous stroke. Kalkbrenner's worked on expanding his range. He might let a few fly. This team has the potential of being not a good, but a great, great three-point shooting team. If they all shoot it how they're capable of shooting, this team will be really explosive explosive from the three-point line. Thought number nine is maybe getting way in the weeds here, but Creighton did lose a very important staff member. Al Huss is is not on the staff anymore. He's the head coach at High Point. And Huss has been Greg McDermott's right-hand man for, for a couple of years. He's been the number one assistant for what has been 
an incredibly successful stretch of Creighton basketball. He's a great recruiter, but he's also a great offensive mind as well. Huss was kind of the offensive coordinator over the years. And again, keep in mind, like remember when Greg McDermott missed a few games with COVID? Huss was the head coach. So it's, it's always, you know, I just think your staff matters. And so I, l- let me make clear, this whole take isn't meant to insinuate that I don't believe in, in Greg McDermott's new hire and Derek Kellogg. I do. I think he's a great hire. I love the fact that Kellogg's been a head coach. I love that Mac felt like he needed someone on the staff that has, has sat in that chair before, been a head coach, knows what the those thought processes and 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 situations are really all about. I mean, Kellogg has 14 seasons of head coaching experience, eight at UMass and six at LIU. So that is huge. But still, coaching chemistry is a real thing, too. And that may take some time for Greg McDermott and, and Derek Kellogg to find. You know, Huss and, and McDermott, they were peas and carrots, man. They really fed off each other well. And I, like I said, I just I think your assistants matter. And Huss was a good one. So there's something to, interesting to to watch and keep in and keep in mind. The tenth and final thought goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyways. In a journey of reaching your expectations and maximizing your potential as a team, you got to stay healthy. Creighton, over the years, been snake bit with this, from Josh Dotzler to Nate Funk to Tyler McKinney to Mo Watson to Martin Crumple and on and on and on. Creighton has had great seasons get derailed because of injuries. And last year's season really got off to such a rocky start because of Kalkbrenner's health. Nobody could have expected that, right? You don't, you don't think, oh, what if someone gets mono? But it caused the team to nosedive for a bit. Lost six straight at one point. The sky was falling. And the team then had to grind their way back out of that hole. So Creighton needs to stay healthy or as healthy as they can, right? So that's one thing worth mentioning. The other thing is their schedule slash path. Last year, I thought Creighton really screwed up their their non-con scheduling. They scheduled, I thought they they bit off more than they can chew. It was probably too tough of a slate for a variety of reasons. You had the you had the Maui games where you played Texas Tech, Arkansas, and Arizona. You had to play at Texas. And then you had two neutral site games in Vegas against BYU and Arizona State. Creighton, at one point during the non-con, went from November 17th to December 22nd and only played one home game. And during that stretch, they traveled to Maui, to Vegas, to Texas, and then to Marquette. Other than the Nebraska game, they played no big non-con games at home. So they couldn't utilize that top 10 nationally in attendance hornet's nest of a, of a place to play to their advantage very often. So it's just, it just wasn't smart. But this year on paper, I think, is, is more manageable, sets up better. At home, they have two big non-con games with Iowa and Alabama coming to Omaha. 
They have a tough roadie at Oklahoma State in late November. Of course, they got the game at Nebraska in early December that is going to be a war. They play three neutral site games that are that are all fairly manageable. Loyola Chicago and then either Boston College or Colorado State in, in Kansas City. And then Creighton also plays UNLV in Henderson, Nevada. So I think I think it just sets up to be a little bit more manageable. You're at home more. Not as much travel. You got some big non-con games at home. I have heard from a lot of people that that Maui trip, I've heard from from other teams and coaches who have, have played in that Maui tournament, they all talk about how it really takes it out of you. And so Creighton won't have anything like that to navigate this season. So that the, the schedule, it's a good mix of, of buy games at home to get their newcomers comfortable and bench dudes' feet wet. They have some high-quality opponents at home in Bama and Iowa, some solid neutral site games, and two good true road tests in Okie State, Nebraska. I like that mix. I like that mix. And the reality is you know, your health and your schedule can shape quite a bit. Those two things almost derailed last year for a very talented team. Kalkbrenner's health, yikes, tough schedule, ugh. But I like on paper how those things line up this season. So there you go, 10 thoughts on Creighton. I'm excited about this team. Really anxious to see how Stephen Ashworth starts the year, what he looks like at that point guard spot. Really interested to see how that, that four spot shakes out between Miller and Trout. I wouldn't be stunned to see Creighton close games with Baylor Shireman at the four, to be honest with you, and maybe Bello, Francisco Farabello on the wing. So it would be Ashworth, Trey Alexander, Francisco Farabello, Baylor Shireman, and Kalkbrenner. I mean, who knows? We'll see. I would say I, I am concerned about this team's overall athleticism. I thought last year's team was just okay athletically and they lost their top two athletes in Kaluma and Nemhart. So I'm interested to see how all that looks. And, you know, I mean, just go down the list. Like, you look at this, who's a great athlete on this team? You're like, Steven Ashworth? No. Trey Alexander? I'd say he's solid. I wouldn't say he's an elite athlete. Baylor Shireman? Not really. Mason Miller, he's a good vertical jumper, um, but I wouldn't consider him a great athlete right now. I think he's still working on his body. Kalkbrenner's kind of a unique kind of an athlete. Like, he's good in a lot of ways. He's a pretty good athlete. Francisco Farabello, no. Trout, he's an okay athlete. Frederick King is solid, but he's not a freak. You, I think you get my point. And listen, basketball isn't solely about how athletic you are. It is a game of skill, but... On some level, your athleticism does matter. And I just look at this team, and outside of Trey Alexander, I'm not completely sold on anyone's ability to, to break down the defense and get into the paint consistently. Right? Like, who on this team can you just throw the ball to and say, all right, get busy, get past a guy, go make something happen? Like, Nemhard could do that. Kaluma could do that. Mason Miller's not going to do that. Ashworth's not, that's not really his game. That's not Trout's game. And then, you know, 
conversely, one-on-one defense, it's not, it's not a great – it's not a unit that's just blessed with a bunch of great individual one-on-one defenders, right? It's not like the – you know, Tyshawn Alexander, good one-on-one on the ball. Damian Jefferson, good one-on-one on the ball. Denzel Mahoney, good one-on-one on the ball. It's not like that with this group. But you know what they got? They got a mother monster patrolling the rim in Kalkbrenner, which helps. They got a monster patrolling the rim. But I just wanted to kind of mention all that stuff. But, again, I say all that to say that also that this team is definitely equipped to overcome any sort of deficit athletically because they're supremely skilled, they're really smart, they're really unselfish, and they can all really shoot it. And if you are collectively smart, collectively unselfish and move the ball and good passers and can shoot, you can be a dangerous unit. And this team is that. I'd say everyone in this rotation has a high basketball IQ and a high level of skill. This team's ball movement could be beautiful. And, like, don't kid yourself. There's just no substitute for being able to shoot. And this team has the potential to be a great shooting team. I think this team could, at times, mirror what that Doug McDermott team looked like. Now, you're not going to have a, a, you know, a guy that's getting 27 a night in Doug. But what I mean is, like, the Doug McDermott team wasn't overly big and athletic. But you know what they were? They fought their ass off. They were ridiculously smart. They were really skilled. They were really tight-knit. They were really unselfish. But most importantly, they could really shoot. I think this team has a lot of those same attributes. Which could make for some gorgeous basketball, man. There could be some plays that are just... If you like ball movement and unselfishness and giving up a good shot for a great shot, a great shot and all that cliche stuff, like there's going to be some times this year it's going to bring a tear to your eye. I just I can't wait to watch. I'm sure some of you are like, "Nick, give me a prediction." Okay. I'll give you a, a kind of a prediction. I think I'll say this. I think this team I I'll say they go I'm going to say they go 10 and 1 in the non-con. I think Creighton loses one of the two true road games at Okie State or at Nebraska. That's my my guess. I think they're going to take care of business against Iowa and Bama at home. But I, I'll say they go 10-1 and one in the non-con. I'm going to say they go 14-6 and six in conference play and finish second or third, depending on how you know the, the conference race shakes out. The Big East is just ridiculous this year, how good it is. So that would put them at 24-7 and seven heading into the Big East tournament. And then... I think they're a second weekend NCAA tournament team. And at that point, who knows? Like, it's hard for me. When the second weekend hits, it's like everybody's got a shot. I think the second weekend of the NCAA tournament is going to hit, and Creighton's going to be one of the 16 teams left standing. I I cannot sit here and say Final Four right now. I'm just not ready to say that. I got to see. I got to see this group. But who knows, man? I mean, FAU made it last year. So who knows? But I'll say uh, 24-7, 24-7 and, and seven in the regular season, and then either a Sweet 16 or Elite 8. That's kind of where I'm at with it right now. Exciting group. Kalkbrenner, another year. Alexander, Shireman, could see Ashworth plugged in. Who's at that four spot? How's that bench going to be? 
really good non-con schedule, fun opponents. I'm on the call for that Iowa game. I'm on the call for the game at Nebraska. I'm on the call for the game against Bama. Man, I can't wait. So there you go. Creighton basketball season preview. Hey, cheers to everybody. Another basketball season upon us. Cheers to another year of Creighton basketball. Keep it locked on this pod, man. I'll have you covered throughout the year. Peace. A Heard at Sports Network production.